Now, Mr. and Mrs. Jensen, I know it's hard coming to counseling, but I'm proud of you both for being here today. It's one step closer to healing. Oh, thank you. I know it's going to sound weird, but I just, I just didn't know who else to turn to. Yes, Mrs. Jensen, why don't you start? Just look at your husband right in the eye and be honest with him. Well, Adam, you know I love you very much. But this is going to be so hard to say. What is it, honey? You know you can tell me anything. It's... It's your voice. I just can't take it anymore. My voice? What's wrong with my voice? I've put up with a lot over the years. Breaking into people's apartments to read their emails. You replacing both of your arms with robot ones. That weird job you have. But since you've decided you needed a permanent... You've needed permanent sunglasses over your eyes... You just talked like that. Well, first off, they're eye shields, not shades. And second, I'm a special agent that tracks down cyber terrorists. I have to talk like this. I just want to be able to go on a normal date without you scaring the waiters to death. Or go through a drive-thru without the cops getting called because they think there's a pervert at the speaker. I told my poor mother that it's because you smoke too much, but she's not buying that anymore. Mr. Jensen, do you think you talk that way because you're trying to hide something? I just thought that this is how cyborgs talked. I mean, I certainly wasn't going to go any go with the RoboCop staccato inflection. Okay, do, do me a favor, Mr. Jensen. Just take a deep breath, find your inner child, and try to speak from within. Ah. <clears throat> uh. Like this? Yes, that's perfect. This actually feels good. I never realized how much talking like that hurt. Oh, Bobby! I knew you could still talk like a normal person! Man, I didn't realize how rough it was to keep that going for so long. My throat feels better already. Thank you, Doctor. This marriage counseling session really helped. Oh, I'm not a marriage counselor. I'm a speech therapist. What? Well, honey, she was cheaper and had more appointments available. Yes, and speaking of appointments, since this got solved so fast, I'm going to have to ask you guys to clear out. I have a feeling my next client is going to need a little bit of extra time. Uh, Yes, secretary, go ahead and send in Batman. My afternoon just cleared up. This is RBG Backtrack, RB Gamer's official retro gaming podcast covering titles from the early days of PC gaming right up through the consoles of yesteryear. Join hosts Kelly Ryan, Matt Mason, and the estimable Mike Minky as they and their guests tell you what to borrow, what to buy, and what to relegate to that big backlog in the sky. Hello and welcome to RPG Backtrack, your regular deep dive into your favorite RPGs. We are a production of RPGamer.com, bringing you fine podcasts like RPG Cast, which is your new show, Q&A Quest, your feedback show, and we are the Nostalgia Show. Um, it, it's going to be a cozy cast today. It's just me. Uh, my co-host, Matt Mason, is currently on vacation, taking Westy Blue Slime off to wonderful places, I hope. And joining me for this show, talking about Mankind Div- or Deus Ex Mankind Divided, I've got Josh Carpenter and Sam Walker. Hey there. Hi. 
howdy. Yes, it sounds like we're all suffering tornado warnings tonight. Something like that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if you want to make one up for Ontario, sure. Uh. So if there there are unannounced, uh, like, interruptions in the recording, like, you know, like, it it, it was out of our control. Don't panic. It's just a tornado warning. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was just talking pre-show about our phone phones going crazy because I don't think any of us have cables. So we set up warnings on our phones and our uh, Echo Dots, and in, in my case, to warn us about bad weather. And that always comes at inopportune times, like at four in the morning or when you're in the middle of the recording something. <laughs> Better to know than to not know. Stress. Uh, um, we're, we're talking Deus Ex Mankind Divided tonight, a, ga- a game that I really haven't played um, Deus Ex has kind of always been off of my radar, but luckily we got two experts on the series here. I oh, know. I think experts is stretching yeah. uh, it a little oh, bit. Oh yeah, yeah, that, that you're taking that too far. We're we're the two people on staff who've played some Western RPGs. I don't know that we're experts. And, and yeah, then, it's a low bar on RP gamers. And, and to be fair, the, the true expert on the site has decided he wants to hang out with his boyfriends. So hey, take that for that's what you fine. Will. He he needs uh. He needs Man boy time. time. Boy, boy time. It's it's fine. It's okay. He sent me instead, and I, you know, I know stuff. I suppose. I I also realized an unfortunate error in my um, programming that I I planned two Western RPGs for JRPG July, so I I'm totally on the ball. Well, well, All this right. is yeah. owned by Square Enix, so you know, like by proxy. <laughs> kind I I. I Yes, I mean we've got Mass Effect next, but that was a audible because nobody wanted to talk about I am Satsuna, and rightfully so because that game say, is to be fair. Yeah, that game is just boring incarnate. So do you like boredom? Do you like I am Satsuna? Do you like boredom and I am Satsuna? Then please go and sit in a corner and think about your life. Do you like piano music and snow? Cause that's all that game is, but it it's sounds like, uh, you know, version of Ambien. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That game did literally put me to sleep Ooh. more times than once. And yet I finished it. I'm glad I uh, never bothered, but it sounds like mankind divided is going to be a much more interesting thing to talk about. So we'll have a quick break and we'll be right back, and I'm just going to let these two kids have at it, and I'll be in the background with questions, hopefully, but we'll see you in a little bit. Welcome back after the brief musical interlude, which I'm sure Josh will have picked out and will be awesome because I don't know about any of the music in this game or about this game. Uh, Deus Ex has kind of always been off my radar. And, and not for any real bad reason or anything. I just, uh, first person games were never my thing back in, or no, I liked Doom and stuff, but when first person games kind of got a little bit heady was when I moved over to RPGs. Which is weird because this game is an, or the original Deus Ex was an RPG, and you you know what I mean. 
I'll play it eventually when I'm in my nursing slash retirement home. But, so, so, um, the, so this is our, our chance to try and convince you to play it before you're in the nursing home? Yes. <laughs> yes. Sell, sell me on the Deus Ex series. Okay. So let's see. Sell you on the Deus Ex series. I think the thing that gets me, like, like I am not, not someone who goes all the way back to the original, you know, that was done by Warren Spector, what, like early 2000s, like 2002, 2003? Um, like yeah, I, I've I've just played the remakes, the Human Revolution and Mankind Divided, the the Idos Montreal remakes, or reboots. What would we call they, them? Well, That's, they're prequels. Prequels. They are prequels. Prequels. Yes, yes technically. Um, the thing that makes Deus Ex like so interesting and unique is that the the idea behind Deus Ex is that you aren't shunted down one path to solve the problems. Like if there's a guard, like you need to get into a building and there's a guard guarding a door, there might be like 10 or 15 different ways that you could get past that guard into the building. You might be able to just take him out. Oh, I mean, obviously you could just kill him or you could tranquilize him, but there might be a way to sneak onto the roof so you go past him, or there may be a different way, depending on some of your augments, you might be able to get into the sewer system and get underneath and go, go into the building that way. Events. It always provides things. Events. Yeah, tons of events. <laughs> so that's part of what's like fun and unique about Deus Ex is just the kind of variety it gives you, and the fact that you know as you're building your character, you are leveling up, and you're you know like the the whole thing is a cyberpunk future, so everything is built around augments. You know, like both your mental and physical uh, body is augmented with technology so that that gives you a, a way to like shape the character that you want to build you can build ones built around stealth you can build ones that are built around just like going in guns blazing rambo style you can build ones that are built around um like being a pacifist you yeah, can go being entirely, a, you know, no murder whatsoever. Well, well, you can in this game. You couldn't in the first one, but that's a different. <laughs> that's a different. Well, you, in the first game, you could air quotes, right? Um, except for the boss battle. Except for the the two boss battles, but uh, Deus Ex. Like, I, I do want to add something, Josh, because you've you've kind of hit the nail of why these games are great. Deus Ex also is all about using persuasion as opposed to combat. So you're going to get into a lot of situations where talking is likely the better choice than just going in guns and blazing. Like you can accidentally murder somebody and miss a huge chunk of a quest uh, when you could have also just turned around, had a conversation with them and them giving you more information to work with as you progress through. So your choices really do matter in the scope of how the world changes uh, in both Human Rev and in uh, Mankind Divided. Now, help me about the the beginnings of the series real real quick, because I thought that I had heard that um, System Shock was one of the beginnings of the series. Yeah, it was. Uh, uh, System Shock, I believe, was beforehand. I mean, Warren Spector made both. He was oh, yeah. the okay. creative guy behind both. So, like that, that's the ties between them, the games. Okay. Yeah. And they have similar themes. Um, Warren Spector was really big into, you know, cyber societies, the way in which we connect with each other, transhumanism. Like those were very important topics in his games. And then you know, there's Epic Mickey, which doesn't count. Yeah, I was about to say we went from that to dis Disney stuff, which was this chance to show how big of a Disney nerd he actually was. Yeah. Whereas, you know, um, coming off of the Warren Spector games, the ones made by Eidos Montreal, 
they really are love letters to those original games. Um, you know, they're taking the cyber the cyberpunk themes, they're enhancing them in a way that, you know, they're asking you to think about bigger pictures. They're asking you to think about um, the way in which technology becomes the sole focus in a lot of ways in our lives. You know, mm-hmm. when you look at the idea of a cyber future, you know, Adam Jensen is a man almost entirely made of metal and not willingly. Like when you deal with his story in Human Revolution, you know, he is forced into augmentation after a mission gone wrong and is basically rebuilt from the ground up. And his story is kind of coming to terms with the fact that he now has to get used to this new body and he questions how much of his humanity is actually left. And even further, the the other big question that this series loves to ask is, um, are you more man or machine, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, What I love about both Human Revolution and Mankind Divided is that these themes stay really constant. And Adam as a character is one that you can definitely empathize with a lot of the time. As much as making the decisions can often be really difficult, you know, you can play him as a man finding his humanity, but you can equally play him as a man embracing the machine. Um, And you'll get two very, very different outcomes in both games. Um, And I think that's really important to kind of look at when you, when you pick this game up, because as you're going through missions and and meeting different individuals, your choices are really going to shape who he becomes at the end of the game. And at the end of human revolution in particular, for example, the ending is all about pushing a button. It is literally three choices and whichever choice you choose kind of shapes the world that we move into next that you kind of see in Mankind Divided. Now, unfortunately, that three-button ending doesn't entirely work because when you go into Mankind Divided, it kind of runs a canonical ending from Human Rev that, you know, um, that basically augmented people are not actually people and they become enslaved by the government. And you spend a lot of time in, in Mankind Divided in one location, which is actually one of the more depressing elements of that game. In Human Revolution, you actually got to travel to a bunch of different places. Montreal, um, China, uh, Dubai. You got to go to all these different places for your missions. So you got to kind of see the world and see how augmented people are kind of treated in different parts of the world. Whereas Mankind Divided drops you into uh, Prague, and Prague has become a police state. Essentially, you have these people who are the natural, so people who don't have augmentation, and then you have the augmented people. And the augmented people are basically kind of treated like trash. They're not treated as yeah. real people. Well, 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 well part of what, at, at the end of the uh, first game, uh, the the crazy bad guy in Human Revolution had, uh, like most of the augmented people in the world had, been in, had this uh, biochip installed that was supposed to improve their augments, but this guy like manipulated it and used it to control all the augs in the world and make them go crazy and start killing people. So it became like in human re- in and mankind divided that became the aug incident. So that's kind of what perpetrated the the huge um the huge sort of backlash against augmented people and and that's why you've and yeah, Prague is now kind of like on the front lines of basically ghettoizing the augmented people into like second class citizenship. Okay, I I see. I watched a Super Bunny Hops review on this just to kind of give me an idea of what was going on. And he was saying that augmented people were sort of bourgeois rich folk in the first game and then mm-hmm. kind of 
ghetto trash in the second game, but never really went into why. And I, I guess it was because it was a spoiler. Yeah. It's a huge spoiler. It's okay. a huge spoiler because it is based on, again, the choice that you make at the end of Human Revolution. Because at the end of Human Revolution, if you choose to kind of basically screw with the augmented people, that's your result for Mankind Divided. And that, yeah. I believe, is the canonical ending. Um but yeah, like in Human Revolution, only people with money could obviously get augmentation. And most people who had augmentation were doing it to enhance their looks or enhance situations. Most of them, it was not for example, like disability. Mm -hmm. Adam is a kind of exception to the rule in the world of human revolution because his literally was all about rebuilding his body because he didn't have a choice. Most people who get augments have a choice. And that's that's very crucial to the first game is that these are people making choices and they are okay with the idea of losing pieces of their humanity. Whereas Adam in the first game is very adamant about that idea. He looks at it and he's like, like, I don't feel like I'm a person. Like I'm feeling like I'm a machine. Like I'm being used by people. And to an extent when he is working for Interpol, he is straight up. He is. Whereas in mankind divided you know now that he's no longer kind of working for seraph industries not working like he's kind of leading out of interpol he's kind of in a different headspace because now it's people are afraid of augmented people people are uncomfortable with the idea that these people exist you know i mean you can walk through the subways of prague and like the police officer will say oh you, you stupid tin can like they'll actually use derogatory terms for Adam, when he goes through like a metal detector, like, and those little nuances, it makes you feel oh, really uncomfortable. Oh, that, that the, the little stuff, like they even have the, the OGS only uh, entrance that you have to use you to go to into the subway. It. Like they yeah. will not let you go in the, the human, the, the normal entrance. Like, no, you must go in the OGS only entrance. And they've got the, you know, the guards pointing their machine guns at you the whole time, you know, like shouting curses at you while you're going through like, Oh yeah, yeah. That stuff is fantastic. Now, one of the things I was reading and seeing in the videos was that they really were trying to explore racism in this game and they got a lot of backlash for it. You know what? I don't think the backlash was necessarily warranted. I don't think it was done as well as they wanted, but I give them props for making the attempt. And the reason I give them props for making the attempt is I think, and I almost don't want to call it racism because it's not really racism. It's classism. Mm -hmm. People are actually confusing it. It's, it is classism. Again, the difference is the classism role has changed in from the first game to the second game. Again, augmented people are the, you gross, stay away from me in the second game. And the normals are seen as, you know, the ones that are safe and good and kind and whatever. Um, this is more about classism than it is about racism. Um, does some of the way in which they respond seem racist? Yes. But it's not, it's not, again, about race necessarily, right? Because you have plenty of BIPOC people in the game who are also augmented or who are not augmented. Um, I think people mistake the idea of racism and classism in this game because it is more about the idea of, you know, if you have if you have something, then you are below me. And if you don't have something, then you're not. Mm -hmm. um, I think I think that's always kind of a misnomer. And again, because this is also about transhumanism, it's very easy to run the idea of just this idea of a systemic issue. And there is a systemic issue in Mankind Divided because you're seeing the way in which um, people are being displaced. And 
there's not a good reason for it. And there shouldn't, and I shouldn't say it that way, like there should never be a good reason to do anything, right? People are mm-hmm. displaced because they are different, just like it is in our world now. Well, well you know, like people, you know, society is lashing out at these people because they're scared of them, you know, yes. like and not, yeah. not without reason even, but. Well, and that's like, kind of it. In, in a lot of cases, these people have augmented parts that can kill people. Yeah, like you, you, this world that they've created is one where, you know, like this, the aug event happened just two years earlier where augmented people went crazy and were just murdering other people. Like, you know, lots of people in the world saw this happen. So they had good reason to be scared of other augmented people, you know? Like, are they going to go crazy again? Like, it, it's not even a it's not even is a the, theoretical thing. It was a real thing. For, yeah, it's, is the biochip going to make that person come after me and possibly shiv me in a public place? And yeah. because that actually does happen in human revolution, like, you can be walking down the street and, like, they're shiving each other and stuff like oh well, well, i mean like look at last year and how stupid people got stupid racist people got about asians and the virus mm-hmm. so it's not without any sort of real life precedent that and that's exactly it. it's you look at something and when you're afraid of something it's that idea of well i'm afraid of it because i don't know and it's easier to be afraid of it than to be understanding with it um and i think this game actually grapples that question very well because Adam is seen as an outsider in this game, um, and probably more so than he was in Human Revolution. You know, he doesn't have, you know, people to rely on. He's kind of on his own, and he's kind of exploring this, just this dark version of Prague where, you know, there's wild dogs next to an electric fence, and if he gets near the electric fence, well, guess who's getting barbecued? Mm -hmm. Deep fried Jensen. And he's trying to grapple with this idea of, like, what, the the Illuminati, who are the, kind of the big bad in this story, like what their actual end game is, and why they've kind of created this rift between the naturals and the augmented people. So there is that as well. Um, I'm also trying to think because when you kind of look at the way in which the villains are presented in the story, there's no clear cut villain, is how I'm going to say it. The first game was very clear about who the villain was. I believe it was, was it Taggart? Uh, it was Deckard? Ta- no, was... Decker, sorry. It was Decker. Decker. And Taggart yeah. was kind of a useless twat who yeah. was equally problematic. In this game, there is a clear monster by the name of Marshenko, mm-hmm. but there is not a main, like, one person to blame necessarily. Um, Marshenko, for example, is a product of just following the Illuminati. You know, he just wants to, you know, kind of follow their plan, their nefarious plan. Um, Because truthfully, the plan in this one's really kind of difficult to explain when I kind of think about it. <laughs> I was I was watching the uh, the cutscenes for you know, prepping for this, and I'm just like, it, it is the the plot in this is very convoluted. It is very much like one big reveal after another, big reveal after another, big reveal after another. <laughs> yeah, you wow. weren't expecting. This well, one's just a lot like more Legend of Dragoon from last week or last show. <laughs> this this game, I will say, uh, compared to Human Revolution, the story is weaker, and it's exactly yeah. for what Josh has said. Um, it's kind of ridiculous how some of the plot points move, mm-hmm. and the story, the transhumanist story in this one, is a little too ham-fisted at times. Like it's very good about beating the player on the head that. Ogs are bad, naturals are good, but ogs are bad. <laughs> it, it, it does that a lot, 
and it doesn't have subtlety uh, the way that Human Revolution does. Human Revolution was very good about rewarding the player for subtle action and for taking the story in a slower stride. And every reveal in Human Revolution was slow, it was thought out. Because again, depending on your choice, you are screwing something else up in a different storyline. You are you are affecting a bigger outcome. Whereas here, the outcome effect isn't as big. It's noticeable, but it's not big. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I remember when I had reviewed it, that that was one of the elements I was kind of disappointed by is on one hand... I reward them for the fact that they're trying to talk about classism, trying to talk about racism, trying to talk about intersectionality, trying to talk about uh, poverty and homelessness. They have all these wonderful topics that they want to, and I, why am I saying wonderful? All these topics that they want to kind of share a deep and committed story to. And the problem is they're not all that woven well together. And, and that, kind of makes it disappointing because it's basically like they're throwing a kitchen sink in and saying here's the kitchen sink of a sore story uh the sink's still broken but we'll kind of patch it up and see how it comes out um and in that regard some of the story elements in this one are are weird and that's on top of the fact that this is the one uh as opposed to human revolution where there's not a lot of boss fights there are more boss fights in human revolution than there are in this one and that's because the majority of the boss fights in Mankind Divided are, um, they are speech battles. So yeah. there are boss fights where Adam can go into a, basically a conversation battle. If he fails, in most cases, he has to fight somebody. Uh, if he's Or they just get away with their nefarious plan or whatever. Um, or if you succeed, again, you get unique information or it changes the way in which a different part of the story is going to move. In this game, if I recall, I think there's only two boss fights. I want to say there's one in the first chapter when you're in Dubai, yeah. and then there's the last one, which is Marshenko. And no matter what, you have to fight Marshenko. Yeah, the game yeah. is not going to let like the game basically will give you the option of you can save a bunch of people or you can kill Marshenko. It does not tell you, but it is possible that you can do both those actions. <laughs> the problem is you have to do it in nine minutes. Oh, good gosh. I'd forgotten that. <laughs> I did wow. do this. I remembered this because when I was researching for the episode, I was trying to remember. So I actually looked at my achievements that I had gotten, and apparently I, I did do this. <laughs> like, in nine minutes, <laughs> save all civilians and kill Marshenko. And Marshenko is not an easy boss. No. The man is. Oh, no. I remember the boss fight being very tough. <laughs> he's basically Nemesis from Resident Evil. <laughs> like, he follows you everywhere and the game gives you lots of like gimmicky ways in which you can kind of slow him down but you can't necessarily escape him and depending on the kind of your aug send uh, uh setup there are ways you can kind of like slow him down like you know if you got for example if you wanted to escape and you have like the double jump adam's double jump is stupid it's like he's got rocket boots <laughs> it's just boing into the air um you know it could be that you've got like the i think it's like a jump and stomp i can't remember if it's like a fist pound i think that's what it was you could do something like that if you're playing this game entirely pacifist this is one of the things i do actually kind of gripe on i don't know how people could do this boss fight as a pacifist run because tranquilizers don't work on him <laughs> he's beefy He's there must have been some way. I, I um, haven't done the research. There must have been some way. They they gave is. you a way in this one, but I haven't looked it up. I've heard that that's a bit, that was made, one of the main complaints about the game was that it, the boss fights really punished pacifism. Well, that didn't matter. That's all Deus Ex. Every Deus right. Ex that offers pacifism, you have to work hard for pacifism, and you should. Like anyone who bitches about that, 
I'm sorry, what kind of challenge did you want? Yeah. If you're looking for a pacifist route in any game that you're playing, you're going to have to work 10 times harder because you have to look for alternate ways to do things. So I kind of think people who are whining about that are just stupid, honestly. <laughs> it's like, you want to play pacifist? Then you got to do the work. Don't complain. You do the work if you want that Chivo. That's your hard mode. But but like, but yeah, we were talking about that, about like even the, the, the talking boss battles. Like I, that just reminded me like one of the early talking boss battles like you have to like you're supposed to go in and arrest this uh, leader of the augs in the uh, kind of the aug ghetto in Prague and like as you're going through this section of course you have to get past like you know just what floor after floor of guards to get to him so part of that winning that boss that talking boss battle is to actually be pacifist at least for that section so you're not killing any of the augs so when you get to the actual aug leader like he knows that and it makes him more persuadable otherwise if you've just slaughtered yes. everyone all the way along it's it's i don't know if it was impossible but it's certainly much more difficult to actually like persuade him and win the boss fight that section that section is exceptionally bitchy if you try to go guns blazing yeah because Basically, it just puts everybody on alert. And there's a lot of dudes. <laughs> a lot of dudes. Um, as somebody who did play Guns of Blazing, I also did Pacifist for that bit. Yeah. Because it was like, I tried it once, being like, I got Guns of Blazing. Got my ass completely handed to me. And I was like, okay, this is clearly not what I'm supposed to be doing. But truthfully, like, the dialogue boss battles are a joy in both yeah. games. Like, they are a great challenge for any player because... You're having these deep philosophical conversations. You're having these deep capitalist conversations. And you're looking at a lot of people's different views on the idea of augmentation, science, um, humanity, capitalism, um, socialism, especially is very prominent in Mankind Divided. So you're having these very deep political discussions. And again, is Adam equipped for it? Sort of. <laughs> It's a um, rhetoric boss battle. It's it's definitely, yeah. it's very Greek. It's very Plato, you know? <laughs> and yeah, you just got to kind of be prepared for how your choices kind of handle it. Like how your choices uh, work it out because you can succeed the boss battle, but there are levels of succession. Like if you hit the highest tier, like you're getting all the gold information. If you kind of hit the middle, you're only getting a small amount. And if you fail, like obviously you're getting jack and or shit. Um, and that's why, like, it's hard to also gauge because you need augments for that. Like, you actually have to buy augments to kind of assist in your uh, level of persuasion or your ability to even read their body language. Like, in Mankind Divided in particular, there are boss battles where people have nervous tics and you can exploit the nervous tic that the person had, right? Or you can kind of, based on just their tone of voice, you can even kind of pull out, like, how they're feeling even, um, is Jensen an empath? No. Can he cheat it with augmentation? Yes. That bothers me actually a little bit, if I'm <laughs> being honest. It's like robotic empathy. <laughs> Like he's cheating empathy, but, but you asshole. It's a cyberpunk future. You can do it. <laughs> it's just I mean, that's what's fun about these Deus Ex games. It's just like it is so different than anything else where you would just get to the end and shoot shoot people people and blow stuff up like there's a lot more thought you know like you, you're very much exercising your brain rather than exercising your thumb <laughs> well and, and compared to a lot of western rpgs that kind of came out in a similar time the one thing i do love about this game is it it isn't afraid these games aren't afraid to ask big questions 
Mm-mm. And they're not afraid to make players uncomfortable with the results either. Like, say what you will for Mass Effect. Like, Mass Effect, yes, you're you're basically playing Star Trek in a lot of cases. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You are doing space diplomacy. But for Adam Jensen, it's not even about diplomacy sometimes. It's not even about right and wrong. Sometimes it's literally just, this man's going to kill this other man, but I need the, the man he's going to kill because if I don't have him alive, I basically don't have these security codes to save this person to do X thing. And everything is about a quick response in Deus Ex. Like, that's the other side of it. You don't have time to also think. You're having these conversations with these people and you're recognizing that there's always a timer kind of above your head going, if I don't get this information now, what's the consequence of it? Um, And that's especially true with the ending of both uh, Human Revolution and Mankind Divided, is Jensen's always kind of, his biggest enemy is always the clock. And like, That's what you expect when you're also playing a story that has a spy as a character. You know, spies are always worried about the clock. They're not worried about, you know, what what's going to happen, you know, down the line. It's literally I have to get these things done in these seconds to ensure that a bigger thing doesn't occur. Um, Different from space diplomacy. Well, and it's also different from something like Mass Effect, where Mass Effect is just, well, you know, very much Bioware, very, it's, Bioware games are are known for being very much like, oh, it is very clear, black and white, good and evil, and Deus Ex, like, like, like you might expect for a, more of a spy thriller, it's much more morally gray. There aren't clearly good and bad decisions. Everything's going to be kind of shaded and unclear, and you you just have to like make kind of like make the best decisions that you can as you go along try to try to save as many lives as you can you're not going to be able to save everyone most of the time <laughs> absolutely and this these are not char- like Deus Ex is not a character focused game in the sense that like compared to Mass Effect or Dragon Age where you know there's an ensemble cast in the in the games Adam is really your only protagonist. And yes, you meet people along the way who are interesting or funny or weird. Um, like, I love Pritchard. Pritchard mm-hmm. is basically Adam's girlfriend, even though he's also a miserable twat um, who helps with cyberware, essentially. Um, I shipped Jensen and Pritchard a lot just because <laughs> they, they were basically were an old married couple. And, you know, uh, you have Malik from the first game, and she's this amazing helicopter pilot who, she's not afraid to get into the thick of it. She's sassy, she's feisty, and she's going to fuck you up with her helicopter. Those are her defining <laughs> traits. <laughs> but that's it. Like, character characters are not actually, like, the big focus here. It really is more about just the overarching world and the, the bigger plot. Like, the environment matters just as much uh, compared to just, again, like, character bits. Um, It's one thing I really like about Deus Ex. As much as I'm more of a character-driven person when I read a book or when I'm playing a game, I was really hooked to this game, these games in particular, because I liked the big questions they were asking. And I admit that I don't mind being uncomfortable. Some people, yeah, like, they'll play this and be like, oh, fuck, I don't want to answer this question. Like, this is... This is a little too deep. And I'm just kind of like, let's do it. Am I a shitty human? Let's find out. Right? <laughs> um, and again, there are so many different ways to do things. There are so many ways to make Adam your own in a lot of ways. Like just even the sheer amount of augmentations in both games, you can really play with the kind of character that you want to create. Um, which I think is very important again, especially if you're running both a cyberpunk trope 
and a spy trope, you need to give the player lots to work with. And I do think these games definitely succeed in that for sure. I mean, just talking choices, you know, I I appreciate it when a game is more willing to go morally gray when it comes to choices so that there is no good decision no matter what you do. You, you know, it's it's trolley problems the entire game. Mm-hmm. And that, that's very much Deus Ex. There, it is constantly <laughs> trolley problems. You're, you're not going to have like the, the good, happy, you know, sunny ending like uh, not so much. Because I'm, I'm not going to lie, when I play a game like Mass Effect where the choices are very binary, it's like being being an angel or being a dickhead. It's like I kind of feel bad for being a dickhead, so I end up going angel, you know? And, and truthfully, for a game like this, that just can't work. Yeah, <laughs> like at all. No, no. Um, and uh, uh, you, you talking about that is kind of making me appreciate those kind of choices, and definitely has me curious about it now. Given, given that I ha- did just play Mass Effect last year, and while I enjoyed it, I did get a little. The binary thing was kind of getting on my nerves, just a tad. I love Mass Effect too, but it, 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 you know, if you're comparing it, the the decision making. Like that you make in that game compared to something like Deus Ex, it's it's really stark <laughs> the, mm-hmm. the difference in the level of maturity. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I'm comparing it because it feels like games are almost afraid to make choices hard in games. Yeah. Oh, totally. Well, and, and that's that's why Deus Ex has kind of the following that it does, because when you're playing Deus Ex, you feel both very powerful and very helpless at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and to have to straddle both those feelings, sometimes simultaneously, um, does make for an uncomfortable experience. Like, there are side quests, for example, in um, Mankind Divided, where, you know, you can choose to help this group of people who are called the Samsdat, and they are they're vigilante newspaper writers and you can make the choice to give them up to the weird Gestapo. You can totally just sell them out and be like, you know what? They might actually be a bigger problem in the long run. Let's get rid of them. Or you can support them and help like spread their awareness throughout Prague. If you choose to help them, like, you find their different newspapers throughout Prague and the different stories that they're telling of you helping other people. Like anytime you've done good in the world of Mankind Divided, providing you've met the Thamsdat, your story appears in the news. Like, oh, you helped this person uh, get out of prison or you helped this mother find her child. Um, And you can also have the opposite happen is the Thamsdat can write news about you and it's like, you totally sold this mother into slavery or you totally had this man die in prison. So even like small quests like that enhance the environmental storytelling that is happening. And I think in terms of environmental storytelling, Mankind Divided is the better game of the two because you're seeing just in the environment how the world is changing. And Prague tra- uh, changes drastically in this game from oh. chapter, like from part one to part three. Like part one, Prague is sunny, it's beautiful. Chapter two, you're seeing the fences go up, you're seeing the segregation of the augmented people versus the normal people. And then by part three, like everything's on fire. <laughs> right? And you're just like, holy shit, like this went dark fast. It's martial law, they're just shooting people in the streets. Yeah, yes. it, gets, it gets real dark. Oh yeah, no, it's uh, it's something for sure. But there's a lot of really like cool quests. Um, if I recall, at least in Mankind Divided, like there's 
There was one where you track, I believe it's almost like a serial killer named the Harvester. There's one, and the Harvester, if I'm not mistaken, that's the quest with, he's a serial killer, but it's he's stealing people's augments and leaving them to kind of either die or basically have no augment. Um, there's one where you can help a man escape prison. There's another one where um, you can help a bunch of, um, the, again, there's the newspaper vigilantes. There's the heist. The heist is one of the main quests, but um, there's a choice. I believe it's you can go to, I think it's a, is it a bank? Yeah, you either you either go to a bank. You have like two choices. You either go and rob a bank or you go and try and find the uh the leader of this religious cult who has been uh, making bombs. Like one of the big things right at the very beginning of the game is there's a terrorist attack on the train station that's been linked to uh, Augs. And so like that's one of the thread lines through the game is trying to track down who, you know, like who was responsible for that terrorist attack at the Prague train station. Yeah, because I remember, I think for my review playthrough, I I went for the cult. Yeah, I think I did cult too. <laughs> I think it is because, so doing the, I remember I remember hearing after I reviewed it, the heist mission can be really bitchy. Mm. I remember Scott did it, and he was talking about how like the Palisade heist is. It's great if you play a stealth character. It is bad if you play a character that's very uh, open for combat. <laughs> so for me, obviously, I couldn't do the heist because I don't do stealth. Yeah, I am not patient, so I don't do stealth. I do like to do net cracks. I am. I do love to do the sneak up and give a person a net crack. But otherwise, I am not a stealthy player well, in any game that I do. And the thing I would say for people, like the good thing about both uh, Human Revolution and Mankind Divided is that they, they do have a very adjustable difficulty setting. So if you're not terribly good at stealth games, you can turn the difficulty down quite a bit and make it make it such that I mean that was the way I played it. I think I don't yeah. know if I played it on the easiest setting, but I I'm pretty sure I remember playing it like a step below normal, and that way it kind of let me like oh I can kind of go along and play it stealth like, but then when I inevitably screwed something up, I could just kind of like oh let's just shoot my way through the rest of this. <laughs> Oh, any game that I can play in the babyest of baby modes, I yeah. will play that way. And again, as we've all talked about before, there is nothing wrong with playing a game on easy. And anyone who comes up and says, oh, you should play games on higher difficulty, eat a dick. Yep. <laughs> Stop. Easy street games, all the way. Games are fun. Let me play them how I want to. And this I don't one is, this one is about pl the, the story and the interesting things that it's doing with it, not... You know, like, if, if you're enjoying the gameplay, too, that's great. I think the gameplay is a lot of fun in this game, but, yeah. Well, and I, I love, this is more just a weird aside, but one thing I've loved about Human Revolution and Mankind Divided is they have a very unique palette in terms of color. Mm -hmm. um, if you ever notice, um, there's always, like, a weird touch of, like, golds and browns in yeah. a lot of the areas that you visit. And that's just a really unique aesthetic that they've kind of put through all the games. Which you don't see in a lot of RPGs, and you don't necessarily see in a lot of other Western RPGs. Um, and I like that that's just a weird colorization that they've picked, because both The Fall, uh, Human Revolution, and Mankind Divided all have that. Like, think about, like, traveling through Hangshaw in uh, Mankind Divided, uh, not Mankind Divided, in um, Human mm. Revolution. It is so yellow. Yeah. It's a lot of yellow and gold and green and brown. And yet, like... Everything feels really bright and neon, like a cyberpunk game should. Like, it's not just you're playing a Western RPG and everything's brown, right? Because Western RPGs, they like their brown. Oh, oh yeah. yeah Human I... Red is like, no, we like yellow. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, did I notice like a lot of the screenshots were yellow. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just a weird choice that they made for like the graphics. And you know, do the graphics look nice now? No, but this game came out in 2014. Yeah, like, it was one of the first games that ended up on the PS4 because that's how I reviewed it. I played a PS4 copy, and you know what? Like, I still think it looks good compared, especially to a lot of Western RPGs. It's just a shame that this particular story, like, it's very clear when you finish Mankind Divided that Adam Jensen's story was not quite finished. And <laughs> that, it's very, it's very that is the understatement of the year. <laughs> and it's very infuriating, too, because it seemed like Eidos Montreal had a third story kind of in the works. And they've never been clear on why they've never made Adam's third story. And even worse... The poor voice actor for um, Adam Jensen, Elias Tofexis, he has been so open about wanting to do a third game and wanting to finish Adam's story because it's one of the most, like, one of his favorite roles that he's ever done. His wife is one of the characters in Human Revolution. She's the love interest. They're actually married in real life, <laughs> which is adorable. So but, my you know, skit wasn't too far off. No, actually. So uh, Elias Fofexis married Michelle Bobak, and Michelle Bobak plays Megan in the first game. Uh, I've actually met both of them in person. We actually did an interview with Elias Tofexis. Um I want to say it was in 2014. Um, we interviewed him at Fan Expo uh, one year, and we were talking mostly about mostly about Human Revolution and Mankind Divided, but we also talked to Elias Tofexis about he was in Sweet Code and Tyrakrite uh, as well at that time. So he he's done a lot of interesting things over the years, but, I mean, the poor man's been asked to say, you know, I didn't ask for this my his entire life at this point. <laughs> but that's just it. Like, you, you get to the end of Mankind Divided and you recognize that this is clearly a middle part. Oh, yeah. And it, it clearly it, it needs leaves, to I mean, the, I, I just watched it, like, earlier tonight, and, I mean, it absolutely, the last scene is a cliffhanger of, of well, I I guess we are on backtrack. We can spoil it, can't we? Yeah, um, yeah. it's been five years. <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a few. Like, I mean, it literally ends, the, the whole thing, when you start out, you know, like, the end of the first game, you went to this facility, and you blew it up, and Jensen was like missing for a year and they was just like pulled out of the ocean. That's like the storyline. He has all of these augments that nobody knows where they came from. And then like at the very end, you know, we're seeing the, the last little bit of the Illuminati and they kind of let on. It turns out that the, uh, what was it? What was the woman um, who was also working at the Interpol? She was like the psychologist. Turns out that she was actually, uh, uh, you know, working with the Illuminati the whole time, keeping tabs on Jensen, and that Jensen is somehow like the person they're using to get at this, uh, uh, what is it, the underground group that uh, uh, is like working with Augs to try and like uh, thwart the Illuminati's plans. So. Like, they drop all this right at the end. Like, you're like, have they implanted something in Jensen to, you know, like, use him against these these odd groups? And then, like, we're never going to, like, may never get the payoff on that. <laughs> it's just like, I was just frustrated all over again watching it again tonight. Oh, what a shame. Because didn't you guys say that the, the team that worked on this is doing um, Guardians of the Galaxy now? Yeah, so... Um, that is Eidos Montreal's current project, and Marie Desal, who wrote both Human Revolution and Mankind Divided, she's the lead writer now for Guardians of the Galaxy. 
Like, we did a lot of content at RP Gamer on, especially Human Revolution when it came out. Uh, Becky Cunningham, who used to work for the site, actually had gone to Montreal. And she did a huge interview with Marie DeSalle talking about, again, transhumanism and the way in which the Deus Ex series was transforming. Because when, when Human Revolution got announced... There was a lot of skepticism about reviving this franchise because the first game, the first game has a lot of love. The second game, people try to forget, and they were trying to figure out how this prequel was essentially going to keep the themes of the original Deus Ex, but also bring something new and different. Um, and I think Deus Ex does a great job, especially these two games, of kind of reintroducing people to cyberpunk mm-hmm. in a way that is both easy to understand, uh, is thematically uncomfortable, and it it does it better than a lot of other cyberpunk games that you kind of see coming afterwards. Um, Particularly... famous ones? (laughs) Particularly Cyberpunk 2077. Oh, yeah. And I have finished that game. It does the setting correctly. It does a lot else wrong. I spent a lot of that game kind of hoping that it would make me care about the usual themes in cyberpunk. And it, it didn't. It didn't. And that's kind of the other side of it. You want, when you're playing a cyberpunk game, you want it to be gritty and uncomfortable and weird. And you want people with robotic parts. And you want you want the world to be a place where you're a nobody. And it's going to kick you around, you know? And mm-hmm. Adam's a nobody. Adam's a cipher. And that's what makes him a far more enjoyable character than V in Cyberpunk 2077. V kind of just is like, I have a biochip in my head and it's Keanu Reeves. And oh, Keanu Reeves' character is a fucking moron that caused a bunch of wars because he was upset about a girl he liked being turned into, you know, a differenter thing. Fuck that shit. <laughs> <laughs> If I recall, wasn't the last Deus Ex game before these two Squeenix developed ones, uh, Invisible War, which nobody liked? Okay. Invisible War, I I wish Scott was on here in one sense to kind of clarify, but Invisible War, my understanding is that a lot of people did not enjoy it, but it did have important connections to the first game. Like, it was still very much a sequel to that first game. And there were story elements and beats that definitely mattered. Mm-hmm. It's just that gameplay elements were different. Like they, they, they did make changes, is my understanding. And I mean, that's kind of apparent as well with Human Revolution and Mankind Divided. Um, one of the unique things in Mankind Divided was they created uh, experimental augmentation for Jensen. And that's kind of what Josh was referring to when you talk about the beginning storyline where like, he's got these new augments in him that he kind of doesn't have control over. It's an actual gameplay element. Like, if you use one of the experimental augs, um, if you don't let it rest, for example, you damage Jensen. And like, uh, he'll be stuck with kind of like a static uh, status effect, essentially, until like he recovers. Like, you actually have to, it's like an on and off switch. You literally have to kind of, if you're going to use an experimental og, flip the switch for, okay, we're using this, and then we turn it off. Turn right? it off before I burn myself yeah, up. Yeah, before I burn myself with it. And again, was it executed perfectly? No. Were the experimental augs fun? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of really cool stuff that you could do. Um, so no, like I, I, I have a soft spot for both of these games. I recognize that Mankind Divided out of the two has probably not aged the best in terms of its storytelling and in terms of um, 
some of its topics. I do think Human Revolution is still a wonderful game, and I think that of the two has aged better in terms of just the story and the content. But I think both games are a great representation of what what big themes exist in cyberpunk and what, you know, just, again, I like a game that makes me feel uncomfortable. And I'm grateful that I played these two games and they left me feeling uncomfortable because I wish more games were, games were more morally gray. I mean, a lot of Western RPGs, especially before Deus Ex in a lot of ways, it was either save the baby, eat the baby. <laughs> right? And yeah. I'm not, I am not a person who's interested in save the baby, eat the baby. Like with Mass Effect, you bet your sweet ass I did a Renegade playthrough. Because I'm sorry, I want Rex on my team. Why would I be a goody two-shoes if I don't get to keep Rex? <laughs> so, like, fuck that shit. You know, games like Fallout, uh, Fallout 3 in particular, was very save the baby, eat the baby. Whereas you play... Um, New Vegas, which was developed by Obsidian, and that game is very morally gray. Yeah. Right? It's, Moral, it's why it's my favorite. <laughs> and it's my favorite too. Moral gray should always make you feel uncomfortable, but it should also always make you ask. Ask yourself a big question. Ask you to think things through. Ask you to challenge yourself in the scenario and say, like, how would I handle this? What is the potential consequence? If I make this choice, is there a potential consequence? And the answer is, especially with human revolution and with mankind divided, there is always a consequence. In Fallout New Vegas, the joke of it is, is sometimes there's no consequence to being morally gray. Like there are just, there are times where you just do it and you're like, yep, nothing bad happened to me. That's nice. I made a choice. It's good. Um, Whereas, you know, with these two games, the moral gray matters a lot because you don't know whose life you're altering in the process of doing your quests. So uh, I'm curious now, do morally gray game games like this like give you a lot of anxiety that you're just going to com- completely fuck up a decision and ruin your game or do you just roll with it? I think that's part of the plus is just that like it, it, for me it's almost like no matter what I pick there's not going to be a perfect right answer they're all going to be like different gradations of you know like good and bad so it's like eh, it's it's in the certain sense it's almost like freeing for me i don't know about sam um i don't feel anxiety when i play morally gray games because when i do a first playthrough i just want it to be natural like i just want to make my choices and see what the outcomes are now that being said when i did my first playthrough of human revolution there's a, the character Malik. Uh, she died in my game, and I was really pissed off about it. And thank God I had a save before you know those. Like basically, they don't tell you how Malik can die. She just dies. So if you don't do a bunch of things in the storyline, she will die in the very, very last quest. So I started my game like through the halfway point of Hangshaw all over again because I was like, fuck you, game. I like Malik. She doesn't actually deserve to die. So when I got to that, I was like, I don't want to finish this game if this is my outcome. Screw this. Redid like a whole chunk of the game so I can save her. That is the only time I've ever done that, by the way, in a first playthrough. Like I said, most of the time I tend to play things pretty natural because, again, I just I want to see the outcome. Um, I'm very, very big about just like, let's see how my choices affect things. I mean, I've done an evil playthrough in Fallout New Vegas, which I air quotes it as evil. It's really just siding with Caesar's Legion and seeing what happens. Um, it's not great. <laughs> not great. Um, but again, you, not ideal. there is always curiosity, right? And that's one thing I like about games with moral gray is they often give you lots of choice and it's not usually one or two outcomes sometimes there's more than that 
Um, and when there's more than that, it's fun to see just the butterfly effect of everything. Like who knew just not picking up this one item would alter, you know, someone else's life in an instant. That can happen. And it's really cool just to kind of see like, oh, if I didn't go meet the, like the, the Samsdat people, for example, the, the newspaper crew. If I never bothered with them, the news about me would probably be pretty pretty middling, right? They would either be punishing me for my choices or hail, hail, you know, teach, treating me like I'm a hero. If I'd gone and saved them, well, I'm definitely their hero now and they're always going to write about what a positive person I am. If I didn't bother with them, not much is going to be said about me. If I decide to let them get caught, yeah, I'm a fucking shitbag. And their lives are upside down because they're all on the run at that point. So you want that in a Western RPG, I feel, because it's you want to keep the player engaged. And that's where I find that save the baby, eat the baby often doesn't work as well as, you know, we once thought it did. To me, save the baby, eat the baby really only works in a game like Skyrim, where the whole point of the game is to be your power fantasy. Yes. And most Western RPGs, most of them try to be a power fantasy in a lot of ways. Even Mass Effect. Again, you are space diplomacy, right? That is still a kind of power fantasy. Yeah. Um, Adam Jensen is a power fantasy. He is a very, very specific kind, but he is still a power fantasy. Western RPGs are all about power fantasy for the player. It is all about the idea of how do I create this character? What, Who and what do I want them to be? And how do I want to shape or destroy this world? Right? Whereas JRPGs, because they're very traditional... You know, your main character is always going to mostly be a good-hearted person or be very hopeful, and the linearity kind of just sells itself, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's about carrying you more through a story than necessarily mm -hmm. giving you meaningful choices. Well, and I think writing meaningful choice can be really hard. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've seen plenty of Western RPGs come out where, like, some of the choices are just outright Stupid. I mean, I think of Fallout 3, the, one of the first choices in the game you can make is you can blow up Megaton, and there's no good reason to do it. Literally no good reason. Just, you can launch a nuke on this town that is worshipping a nuke. Again, what is the reason for that? Like, what good reason do you have to do that as the player, other than to be a douchebag? For the lulls. And that's it. It's for the lulls. It's not a meaningful choice, whereas I think of a game like... Let me think here. Let's use... Human Revolution, for example, um, you know, when you're helping Malik sort through her problems, you know, those are meaningful choices because do you want Malik at the end of your game helping you out or do you want to alienate her so that she dies in the end? And because the game is very gray and it doesn't tell you that death is a potential outcome for her, yeah, you could be a total dick to her the whole time and then go, oh, look, I accidentally killed her because I was a dick. But the game's very good at disguising that in a way that, again, blowing up Megaton isn't. And again, you should want to kind of trick your players a little bit. You should want them to look at this big choice and ask lots of questions and try to figure out, okay, well, if I make this choice, what's the consequence? And I think that's part of the fun is, is seeing what your consequence is because some consequences are huge and some are very small, like in the grand scheme of things. I mean, I'm trying to think of like one of the, the, the one with Decker in in Human Revolution, Decker is an evil son of a bitch. Evil, evil son of a bitch. And he's, he's a capitalist pig. But making choices that side with Decker, 
actually can be advantageous for Jensen, um, you know, at, in the end game. Like, when you have your first battle with Decker, like, oh, you can get some juicy information if you feed his ego that you can then use to fuck him over later. So, like, those are things to also kind of think about it. You know, this guy is a slime ball, but if I stroke his ego, I might actually be able to get something useful to use against him later, right? And that's also kind of awesome, too. It's one of the, like, one of the things that frustrates me is... When I played 70, uh, 2077, I wanted it to be more like Deus Ex, because in 2077, the choices aren't meaningful. There are some cyberpunky quests, but the majority of the choices that V makes, they don't change the world. They don't change V's outcome in any way. And so you can't really get attached to V as a character the way that you can with Jensen. Jensen is, it's very easy to get attached to him. It's not like he's like a super lovable character. It's more that you're intrigued by him. He's a mystery. You want to unwrap those layers and kind of know what's going on there. I'm sorry, I'm so rambly. <laughs> no, it's, a, it's okay. It's, it's just very fascinating to lis- listen to, especially since they were making out like cyberpunk was going to be the end-all to be-all to Western RPGs. And it fizzled it hard. Yeah. And that's, that's it. I think cyberpunk as a video game genre, not like a tabletop genre, specifically a video game genre, I think sometimes can be really, really hard to adapt. And I think some people adapt it because they want like something like a world that looks really cool and like it's all bright lights and whatever. But they, then they, they, watched, the- they watched Blade Runner years ago and they want to recreate that. Yeah, except Blade Runner is very good about talking about transhumanism and transhumanism is always going to be a key component when you're talking about augmented people like that is one of the keys the key themes of cyberpunk and if you forget transhumanism as a part of it it's harder to make a compelling world and a compelling story because then it's just all visual aesthetic and visual aesthetic doesn't necessarily carry a product and i think that was one of the issues with 2077 was definitely they were banking more on how it visually felt as cyberpunk air quotes instead of actually truly telling a cyberpunk story it honestly makes me wonder if they if they did a better job with the witcher because they had the novels to go off of versus cyberpunk where it's just a setting with no what i understand no no story to it they they had plenty of to work with cyberpunk um because you have cyberpunk 2020 you have cyberpunk red like mike pondsmith wrote lots of role-playing games for the setting so they actually had tons of material the problem was how they kind of took bits of the material and then kind of did their own spin on it. Like, if you actually talk to people who are big fans of the role-playing game, the tabletop game, they will tell you straight up the 2077 actually mildly fucked up the timeline and some things actually don't make a lot of sense. And part of that likely was due to the fact that they shoehorned uh, Keanu Reeves into the story. Oh, because Silverhand? Of- yeah. Johnny Silverhand, I love Keanu Reeves, but Johnny Silverhand is a stupid fucking character. And making your game revolve around a really stupid fucking character is not a fun game to play. It's not. And Johnny Silver, <laughs> Johnny Silverhand isn't a compelling character either. Like, you know, he's just, again, he's a dipshit guy who wants to be a terrorist because his girlfriend was soul killed and now she's a part of the mainframe. How dare you make my girlfriend into a computer chip? Like, it's fine. Like, it, again, doesn't really make for compelling storytelling um, when you think of 
the fact that, again, you have Johnny Silverhand in your head. Johnny Silverhand is overriding your body. You have six months to live. That's, that's the basic story of Cyberpunk 2077. And you would think that sounds super transhumanist, but the problem is that it, it really backpedals a lot of the themes. Because, again, like, V's not super augmented in the way that Adam is. Like, Adam is fucking augmented beefcake. V, you can kind of, you don't have to actually augment V that much. Whereas Jensen, you don't have a choice. Like, the parts are already there. You're literally just enhancing what you have. V, you can actually choose to put augmented parts on. So take that for what you will. But putting augmented parts on V, for example, doesn't affect her humanity score, right? Like, when we talk about the idea of humanity versus machine... That's something that Cyber 2077 actually, Cyberpunk 2077 fails at miserably. It's not very good at telling that very important story of, am I human or am I machine? Whereas Jensen's story is 100% that. And again, the player has the ability to make the choice of, is he man or is he machine? So yeah. <laughs> One other thing I wanted to ask, and I, I'm sorry for talking about out my That's ass okay. about Cyberpunk. I I try to be informed, but I can't read about every single little thing. So I, I knew about the tabletop setting. I had no idea just how deep the rabbit hole went. Uh, it's big. But yeah. But another curious thing that I was just curious about, is there any moments of levity in any of these games? Or is it pretty serious all the way through? There's a sexy shower scene in Mankind Divided, where Adam has a sexy shower and then drinks his coffee. <laughs> I, I think I made a horrible Spaceballs reference in my uh, in my review. Okay, yeah. I, I mean, I mean is, is is there butt? Yes, there's total butt. Okay. I mean, I, I good, spent a lot of time uh, calling him Action Jensen because anytime I oh. I played Human Revolution and Mankind Divided, I would make a joke to my husband, be like, "Look at Action Jensen. He's got poseability and cyber speed, and he's oh, getting oh, a lunch right now." Okay, oh, look, look at one of the titles I wrote down. Great minds. <laughs> well, act, I mean, Action Jensen is a joke that people have made. Like, even Elias Tofexis himself has made it, where it's just mm-hmm. Adam Jensen moves like an action figure. <laughs> and that's, it's really funny because the game runs very fluidly, but when he's actually running with his hands out, he looks like yeah, an action figure. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> Like it just—it looks a little weird. <laughs> if I'm being honest, like I think I called my original review. I actually made like it was Captain Planet reference. I called it like Action Jensen. He's a hero. Gonna take uh, Illuminati down to zero. It was something stupid like that. Um, and it's because again, he's a fun character. He's a very serious character, but he is a lot of fun because you think about the fact that you have this super cybernetic guy. Who's like, I didn't ask for this. And he's like, bro, you got it anyways. Make it work. <laughs> I mean, Adam Jensen's been a Jeopardy question. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, I believe the question on Jeopardy was, um, I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, um, actor Elias Tofexis plays this character from this 19, uh, from this uh, 2010 video game franchise about transhumanism. It was something... Along those lines. And the answer obviously was like it's Deus Ex. I'll have to find that. Like it was it was pretty funny actually. Like just this uh weird bit of pop culture. I think it was during like a Jeopardy teen um tournament, which was weird. Actually I think he has it still pinned. He does. So yeah, so here's what it is. Elias Tofex's voice 
genetically amped up Adam Jensen in this series with a Latin name? That's the actual question on Jeopardy. And I love the tweet that Elias Tofex is where he goes, wow, I'm impressed Trebek pronounced my name correctly. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think this is a really, really fun series. And I think, and I mean, maybe you agree with me, Josh. Do you think people should play these games? I think they oh, should play these oh, games. Oh, totally. Play, they should play these games. I mean, I I didn't see Human Revolution, but uh, Mankind Divided is on sale for five bucks right now on Steam. I can't beat that. No. Uh, Steam Summer Cell going on right now. I'm sure Human Revolution and uh, the older games are probably on sale too. Now I'm curious. They're probably like five buckaronis. Uh, let's see. Yeah, Human Revolution Director's Cut, three bucks. Can't uh, beat that. The Such original Deus Ex Game of the Year Edition, 97 cents. <laughs> They're practically giving it away. Yeah. Uh, Invisible War, 97 cents. Oh, wait, here's the whole collection. Let's see what's all in the whole collection. Whole collection, five games included. Yeah, so all five games on sale, 10 bucks. <laughs> Again, you can't beat it. $10, five games. What do you have to lose? The 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 other thing for for us old fogies, like they are, those games are also just the perfect length. They're in that twenty to forty hour range. They're deep, but they're not like ridiculous. So yeah, that's true. I don't think I I plucked even thirty hours for either of them. So yeah, no, they're they're a good length for a Western RPG as well. Western RPGs tend to either be too short or overstay their welcome. So yeah, I found that found that as well. Oh, your game of the year, Cyberpunk, is $40, so you can get five excellent games for 10 or one absolutely trash fire of a game for 40 I know what I'd pick. I would pick my $10 EDs because I played through 2077. I did not enjoy it. <laughs> I If I had actually been the reviewer, I think I actually would have been nastier than Alex was. <laughs> Just for some of the glitches I got. I mean, my see, favorite is still see, the see, Psycho yeah. Cloud. The psycho clown that was walking on water—that's still my favorite. <laughs> See, Sorry, I played gosh. it on, on the new console, on the new generation, so I didn't get any of the glitches, and I just kind of felt very, you know, all the more mediocre about it. I was kind of disappointed I didn't get any of the fun glitches. <laughs> it's like I want some of the glitches; they look great. <laughs> no, hey, Scott, they would be interesting. The rest of this game is yeah, kind of boring. <laughs> Scott didn't get a lot of them either. Like, and again, he's playing on his high performance PC, and he was like, he didn't get a lot, but he spent a lot of the game just being like, this should be more interesting than it is. Yeah. And again, even worse is the fact that, like, when you think of all the quests you do in 2077, there's only two quests that actually feel like actual cyberpunk. <laughs> and that really bothered me. <laughs> Like, I love Pan Am as a character. Her storyline makes no sense and ends abruptly. And if you don't choose her ending, it just ends abruptly. <laughs> and it's like, okay, you, you go over there, girl. Um, I'm going to make out with Judy now. Because Judy has, I think, the best story in that game, for sure. Uh, with River coming in second. Rivers is really creepy, but like it's the good kind of cyberpunk creepy where it's like it's a detective story and it's like, ooh, this is really good and I want to follow this. And then you just you do a bunch of other quests and they're all really fucking stupid most of the time. It's just like, I don't know why I'm helping these people. And you know, the police are okay with me murdering people in public. So like that's that's the other thing. In Mankind Divided, the police actually will try to apprehend you if you murder just random people. They will go after you. Whereas in Cyberpunk 2077, 
The police will never go after you if you just kill somebody on the street. They'll go after you if you run somebody over with your car, but not if you just, I don't know, shiv somebody randomly. I'm lost. You know, I'm lost. It's a, it's a lawless place. <laughs> Is that what we're calling it? Sure. Okay. <laughs> oh, I, I'm surprised because, um, you know, after reading some reviews of the game, some people were kind of not knocking it and stuff. And um, you guys seem to have a pretty positive view of it, all things considered. I totally get where the negative complaints for, for the second one in particular come from. I mean, I think people were expecting the same level of quality that Human Revolution was. And unfortunately, like, you can see in Mankind Divided that the game was clearly only part of a story. Again, you could tell that with Human Revolution, they were clearly looking to do a three-part story and only got to two. Well, and Human Revolution ended in a way that if they had never done another one, that would have been fine. This one is just, like, complete cliffhanger. <laughs> yeah, it does not work. <laughs> And I think, like, the, the, the difference for me is that, like, in Human Revolution, I think I just felt a little bit closer and more affection for uh, the, the, the you know, um, the characters that you spend so much time with in that game. And the characters in this game, like the, the head of the the uh, Interpol group, Miller, and your, your contact with that uh, underground group of Augs, just like, I don't know, they never clicked in the same way that, like, Malik no, and the other you're right. did. Like, Malik and Pritchard are yeah. fantastic characters. Uh, again, Pritchard in particular, what makes him fantastic is the fact that he bites back. Oh, yeah, yeah, that, he was great. I mean, he got his own DLC in the first game. He, was he so did, great. and it was a good DLC, too. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of the characters in Human Revolution, like Human Revolution is also definitely the longer of the two games. Like you really are spending a lot of time in different places and you're meeting people. And again, these are not super deep characters, but you are attached to them. Where definitely in Mankind Divided, it definitely doesn't have that. Like you don't feel any kind of attachment to anyone because I think the goal in Mankind Divided was more to make you attached to the, the plot yeah. Whereas I think in Human Revolution, it wanted to do a bit of both the plot and the characters. And, and that's also the different, like you were talking about, like Human Revolution, you get to go and see so many different parts of the world. And Mankind Divided, you're you're kind of in the grind. Even when you're going somewhere else, it's like, oh, we're going to go to the Aug ghetto outside of Prague. Yeah. It, it, but I mean, like, part of that is in service of the story. It, it is telling its story through that. Like, it is supposed to be kind of, like, darker and depressing in a way yeah. that the first game was not. The first game definitely was better at being, like, a spy thriller, mm -hmm. right? Whereas, I mean, I think Mankind Divided is more of a dystopia. Yeah. And, again, it's not like a... Is it a full-on dystopia? No, but you can definitely tell, like, they're borrowing from history. They're definitely borrowing from the concentration camps in World War II, uh, internments, um, different It's genocide. not dystopia, but you can see dystopia from there. You see dystopia, because, again, if it was, like, true dystopia, like, yeah, the world would have started at that, as opposed to the way in which the game builds, which, Prague is fine! Prague is not okay. Prague is definitely not okay. <laughs> <laughs> right like i think if it wanted to be full dystopia it should have started at dystopia yeah so that's why I, i'm hesitant of like it, it is a dystopia just is it a full dystopia uh, tough to say <laughs> <laughs> is it near future oh fuck no <laughs> <laughs> no 
Now, just backing up a little bit, there's a question that I need to start remembering to ask on some of these more modern games, is what DLC do you recommend for this? Um, I don't think there was that many DLCs for either game. Like, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the first one, Human Revolution, only had the missing link, right? I think so. That was that where you did that, like, special mission on, like, is it in Shanghai before you go to Hangsha? I think. I only ever play... I'll only ever get to talk about this. The The best way to play the original Human Revolution is actually on the Wii U. So if you're one of the 10 people that have a Wii U out there and can hunt down that version of it, that is the bar none best version of that game. Having the uh, I played it the second time through because it has all the DLC included. And then they, uh, they put the map on the Wii U gamepad. Yes. But that is super useful in Human Revolution because the map will also show you like the uh, cones of vision for all the enemies and all the uh, cameras. Yeah, that was really so it wow. Makes sneaking around so much easier. They, was, they put a lot so of effort cool. into the Wii U version of that game for God knows what reason. <laughs> I remember awesome. Scott played it and he really, he really thought that was cool too. I mean, the only downside to that version is it takes up almost the entirety of the memory of the Wii U. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's the Wii the, U. <laughs> the other downside being that the Wii U version is incredibly expensive. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, um, I see a Canadian version for 30 bucks, but it's hovering from like 40 to 50 Yeah, which that seems like a lot, truthfully, for that game. Yeah. Nah, buy it on Steam for five bucks. I, <laughs> Not I, might have to, I might have to keep an eye out for it and see if like some of the used stores are caught slipping, you know, trying to get rid of their Wii U stock. But yeah, that, that, that cracks me up. Of course, I think Wii U games just shot up in price, especially they stuff did. that hasn't uh, migrated to the Switch. Well, that that they, yeah, there's not much left that isn't, but that would be one game that is not on Switch that that is on <sighs> Wii U. Though I suppose you can play it on all the other modern consoles. I'm still holding out hope for uh, Xenoblade Chronicles X. That's the last one. <laughs> yeah, I don't even think I have that many Wii U games left. I think I only own like four left. Just four. Oh, I call it the Nintendo Saturn. So many good games, so little yep. people to play them. Yep. Well, I think we're about done with this. We've been going for about an hour now. That's probably a good length, unless you guys are actually an hour and 20 minutes. So um, do you guys have anything else to add? No, I I, I personally think I, I summed up my feelings quite well. No, I, I like I really like these two games. I mean, just the you know, like the 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 moral gray areas in it, the I, like I think it's not only is it interesting and, you know, like different to play, but I think it's just like an incredibly satisfying to build your character to like just choose the different augments for jensen and to build care build jensen in whichever way you want to go with him like do you want him to have like superhuman ability to jump do you want him to have you know like vision where he can see through walls like it's just like it's really fun and all the different choices you make change the way that you actually play the game and interact with the world and it just makes playing the game so much more interesting thing and different than pretty much any other RPG or pretty much or even any other video game you play. No, I can totally agree with that. And again, games should strive to have interesting moral gray. If not, what's the point in having choices? Well, the choice is to be good or bad. 
<laughs> Save the baby, eat the baby. <laughs> We're eating babies, dear. <laughs> I, I gotta say, I mean, you haven't sold me on a hundred percent because I'm not hitting that buy button on Steam, but that's also because I spent an ungodly amount of money on computer parts this week. So, <laughs> that's fair. Um, I will put it on my wish list and maybe next Steam sale, see where I'm at. Plus, I've also got a ton of other shit that it's on my plate right now. Um, JRPG just. July just started, and I'm starting Monster Hunter Stories 2, probably as soon as as I get off the cast, because I was like, oh yeah, I guess it is July 1st, and I had that demo downloaded just for that purpose. There you go. But, um, well, thank you guys for coming on and just waxing poetic for about an hour and some change about the Deus Ex. Well, it was good to actually be talking, you know, like, we'll mix things up and talk about a Western RPG for a change. It was fun. Yeah, and the next show is going to be the Mass Effect Trilogy, which I'm going to have a whole uh, zoo ever on for that funness. I feel for you, Kelly. It's a lot of folks. Yeah, but everybody's really good on this show, and ever since we switched to the roundtable format, everybody kind of gets a, gets a say now, so it, it definitely helps, and not going for five hours at a time <laughs> that's also the, that's helps. That's the important part. That's always but, the important uh, part. Yeah, because we're getting too old for this shit, and we don't have the stamina for shows like that anymore. Well, I definitely don't. <laughs> no, definitely not. I am an old fogey. But I'm no, old, I, oh, I, I, no, I was going to say, just I love talking about Deus Ex, particularly these prequel games, because like I said, I didn't play the originals. And I do, I do hope more people give them a shot. I do. Um, and I hope that, like, you guys do a few more Western RPGs on the show because I think there's a lot of good ones to talk about. I think you yeah. might have shot yourself in the foot though doing the full Mass Effect trilogy. I think you maybe should have done like one and then two and then three because those are really big games. I I know. I'm and we could split split them up and maybe talk about them later. I'm hey, I'm still new to this. No worries. Uh, no worries. It was kind of a last minute. Well, everybody wants to do one. I have a slot open. I might, we might as well just go for it. Um, we do have Skyrim coming up in November. I made a point to want to do that one because of the ten uh, year anniversary. anniversary. My I'm God, I can't here. believe that game is. I can't believe that game is ten years old now. I know. It's very. Uh, I feel so old. We're all old, Kelly. I I know. Coming to terms, the fact that cartoons that I liked are now old enough to be the equivalent of when I was a kid and liking like Yogi Bear and Bugs Bunny and that being shit from the 50s and 60s. Yeah. (laughs) It's true. No, no. Oh, God, no. But it's fine. That's, that's what's good. fun about nostalgia. Oh, that's it, right? You can always get good conversations. And my God, like sometimes someone will say something like, oh, my God, that did happen. What the hell? <laughs> and that's always just as good a moment, too. Indeed. Well, thank you, Josh. Thank you, Sam. Always a pleasure to have you on. And just a reminder that RPG Backtrack is a production of RPGamer.com, your one-stop shop for RPG news, reviews, impressions, and so much more. Oh, it'll it'll be glad to have my uh, partner back on next next time to put this to bed because I'm bad at that stuff. <laughs> ah, you're doing fine. And don't uh, forget, JRPG July is running through all of July. Play JRPGs. Celebrate community. Yep. 
it's it's a fun time and hey just a little bit of user feedback if you want to see more western rpgs drop some suggestions in the comments because i know that we're kind of a more eastern rpg focused site and that's just because you know we're, we're volunteers we do this out of the love of our hearts and it's just that's the fans that come here you know i i mean i don't get me wrong i do love my western rpgs when i get the chance i just don't get a chance to play very many of them and yeah <laughs> they're, they're, we're, not, we're not biased or anything that's just who we hire sometimes <laughs> no worries i don't, I I don't know how to put to kelly <laughs> yeah no no worries no worries i just w- wanted to throw that out there that we do like to cover western rpgs we just need people to actually cover them so but thank you and i hope you guys have a lovely evening and we shall talk to you guys sometime later goodbye bye bye <laughs>